All right. Good evening again, everybody. Um, I uh, hope that was uh, somewhat good. I don't know how well it translated, but I uh, I think it kind of illustrates a point that I've been making uh, this semester that the Psalms are meant to be sung. And I think uh, as I sing that song, I tend to understand that in a way that I experience it more than I just like me telling it to you all the time or me even saying it to myself. Like the Psalms are songs that shape us. Uh, that's our series. But I, uh, I also like when you sing it and when you hear it sung, it kind of takes on a life of like, okay, I see how it is that if I was singing it, this song at the top of my lungs, right? Uh, like this guy in the, you know, the corner room is singing it, uh, that that really does tend to like enliven your heart to the words that are being said. So uh, if you want to check them out, it's the corner room. They've made a bunch of songs that are like that, uh, that have set the Psalms to like in, in their actual English language, you know, translation uh, to meter. And I I'd highly recommend them. Um, but if you're not already turned to Psalm 121, uh, I suggest you go ahead and turn there. Uh, I'll be using the ESV just as a heads up. Um, and yeah, we are continuing on in our, our series songs that shape us. And that's because, uh, they're the hymn book of God's people and, uh, they're meant to direct us on what to appreciate, desire, fear, and love, uh, how, how God has asked us to do those things. And, um, they're also songs that, uh, really at the end of the day are, uh, meant to give us words on what we feel and at least what we should feel. And tonight's Psalm 121 is uh, a song for protection. Uh, that's what I've titled this sermon, is a song for protection. Uh, when we were last together, uh, all physically in the same place, uh, I we were leaving for spring break, and I don't know about you guys, but uh, I kind of thought that this whole thing would blow over, um, it, it, you know, by the time we were going to come back or like, you know, in some way, maybe we'd have some minor inconveniences or take some precautions, but we'd be all back together soon again. And I, that was kind of my mentality as we left school, uh, before spring break. Um, yesterday, uh, I got an email, uh, that UWM has like officially moved all of its summer, like orientation stuff online. And, uh, Guys, I don't think I was ready to get that that email. Um, at the at the very least, it signals to me that the administration believes we're like we're not anywhere close to returning back to things being normal, and uh, that sent me into a bit of a tailspin this week. Uh, if the summer's already out of the question, then it makes me think like, what's the fall going to look like? Uh, and I, guys, I hate the thought of another six months of doing this. Uh, you know, I got into this job partly because I love being around people. <laughs> and, uh, and this is the opposite of that. Um, and what about like our economy, our friendships? What about like your education? <laughs> you know, like it's not, I mean, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but, uh, maybe you think that it's not as good online as it is in person. I would assume you probably felt that way. That's why you signed up for a like a distance learning, you know, where you actually gone on campus and, and learn from professors. And I think, uh, I'm really just having to come to con- come to terms with the reality that I do not control my life. Uh, that so little of it is under my control. 
And I wonder if any of you guys are feeling that way, uh, that you feel vulnerable, uh, like all of life is just kind of happening to you, right? That assignments come to you out of the void, uh, and tests come to you out of the void, and your work schedule comes to you out of a void, and you're just kind of told when and how you're supposed to do life, and it's all in this kind of fishbowl. Um, You know, it's funny for me, I've actually told people, maybe even some of you, that I was optimistic about how, you know, this time could actually be a revival uh, in the church and and, in our country as people come to terms with their inability to control their lives, right? To, to trust in themselves and to get what they want and to be, make themselves happy. And I was excited to see idols like status and approval and wealth and power. I was excited to see those idols be revealed as the frauds that they are, uh, as people realize that like the things that we have in the West, like money and like reputation, that they, those things can't save you. Uh, They don't actually put you in the control that the illusion uh, brings that you have. And um, the reality is uh, I thought I was above such lessons uh, that I, that I, I knew I couldn't trust in myself, right? In my head, I'm like, yeah, you don't, you can only trust in God. God's your only hope, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I'm really learning it afresh this week. And this psalm, the psalm we're looking at tonight, has been my teacher. Uh, as I look outside myself for help in the midst of all this uncertainty and, quite honestly, dread, uh, this psalm points me to the source of true comfort and protection amidst life storms. So I hope that I will do that to you tonight as well. Um, this psalm is ultimately going to answer the question, from where does our help come? Right? That was the the main line from the psalm we just listened to, right? From where does our help come? From where does our help come? That's going to be our big question this week. So let's read Psalm 121. Actually, we just listened to it, so I'm not going to read Psalm 121 because uh, you know the words now. Uh, but let's pray before I jump into it. Uh, Lord, thank you for this time uh, where we can uh, hear from your word, where we can sing your word. Um, thank you for a song uh, that allows us to sing about uh, where our help comes from. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we examine this, as we take up this this piece of text, you would help us uh, to understand it better um, and to apply it deep in our hearts. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, so let's jump into this passage. Uh, and explore our question, from where does our help come? Well, let's start with verses 1 and 2, right? Uh, usually people think of verse 1, if you've, if you've heard this psalm before, um, and even how it was kind of sung, uh, verse 1 seems to be kind of like an optimistic uh, message. We, we tend to think of like lifting our eyes to the hills as like uh, Gandalf and Lord of the Rings coming up over the ridge, and we're like looking to our help. Um, but... Uh, Actually, this psalm comes in a collection, I said, they're called the Psalms of Ascent. Um, And the way Jerusalem is situated um, is that it's on a hill, right? But it's surrounded, actually, on all sides by other hills that are taller than it. It's actually like a lower hill set amongst a bunch of taller hills. Um, And that means that as you came to Jerusalem, if you were singing this psalm, if you were on your way in a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, 
you'd actually be going through these hills. And what those hills spelled was actually not safety, but danger. Um, those hills were perfect places for robbers or people who wanted to hurt you to hide out in. They made perfect refuge as well, right? David would actually go on to hide in these hills um, to flee from Saul but uh, and, and his son Absalom. But they simultaneously provided hideouts for people who wanted to hurt you. And so it's very possible, maybe even likely, that the hills are actually the purpose of the psalmist asking, where does my help come from? Right? That as he looks around at the hills, he finds himself afraid and uh, asks the question, where does my help come from? Uh, and uh, that's when we get our answer to uh, the question, where his help comes from, is that it comes from the creator of heaven and earth, right? The one who, who made heaven and earth. Um, uh, the hills in verse 1 uh, prompts the psalm and the sense of danger in it. But the, the psalmist is essentially saying that what the made the hills, the, the person, sorry, that while he's afraid of the hills, right? The hills are scary to him, right? When he starts to think about who could save him from the hills, um, the threat of them, the threat of these hills pales in comparison to the God who made the hills, right? Uh, the, the contrast there is these hills are scary. God is scarier, right? Uh, one after another. And, and that's our first answer to the question, from where does our help come? It comes from the Lord who is the powerful creator, right? So uh, it comes from the powerful creator. Uh, they're all going to be peace tonight. So I'm proud of my alliteration, a powerful creator. Uh, this reminds me of um, those Old Spice, old Old Spice commercials. I don't know if you guys have seen any of those. They're glorious. If you have, I spend a good portion of my afternoon uh, just rifling through Old Spice commercials, looking for the right one. Um, but particularly the ones with Terry Crews, uh, which is he's a guy on Brooklyn Nine Nine, really big guy who's like just jacked out of his mind. Uh, there's one of those commercials where uh, Terry Crews. Um, where it's a, it's actually a, a bounce dryer sheets commercial ad at the beginning. And then in the middle of the ad, Terry Crews busts through a wall on the side on a jet ski and is, and uh, proclaims like in loud Terry Crews style, old spice is so powerful. It sells itself in other products, commercials. Um, and it's a, just a glorious scene that makes no sense. Um, and I know this is a bit of a stretch, but the point of that commercial is to say that Old Spice is so powerful that what whatever was happening before in this commercial doesn't matter anymore, right? That you should go out and buy Old Spice. Well, a similar logic is being applied here from this psalmist, right? That uh, you shouldn't be scared of created things, hills or robbers or any of those people, not even, say, coronavirus, right? Uh, because those things all pale in comparison to the God who made everything. Um, I'll let you guys talk about how God's role is our creator, uh, like how that like brings you comfort in this time. Um, I'm going to let you all do that in your breakout groups. But uh, creator is not the only image that we get uh, about who where our help comes from. So I'm going to keep moving. Look with me at verses 3 through 4. Let's move on to 3 through 4. The second image that the psalmist gives us is uh, one of a pilgrim 
who is at a treacherous part of his journey. One of these people who is returning back to Israel, who uh, is, he's at a portion of the path where if he stumbles, he could fall and, you know, possibly be injured or worse. Um, a false step could mean slipping off of a path. And the psalmist tells us that the, that, uh, the creator he has mentioned in verse two is not asleep at this part of the journey. Now, of course, uh, asleep is, you know, a metaphor for just, he's not completely unaware, right? That he is, um, you are never more unaware of your surroundings than when you are asleep, right? The idea is that, uh, you know, it's, it, it, God doesn't have eyes, right? There's no, there's no way for him to physically sleep as we know it. But the point there being that God, if he's like being asleep, he would be completely and totally unaware of what's happening to the psalmist as he tries not to slip. Uh, and so we get our second answer to the question from where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord who is present, right? So I said, uh, our help comes from the Lord who is the powerful creator, and it comes from the Lord who is present, powerful and present. Um, God is aware of the dangers and fears that you face, right? He's not asleep or ignoring them, whether it's coronavirus or your parents checking up on you to see if you've done your homework yet, right? Whatever conflicts or problems that you are, you are facing, uh, those things, uh, God is aware of them. He knows that they're happening. Not only is he uh, powerful, uh, more powerful than any problem you face, but he's also present. You know, how good, and this is important because how, how useful would a powerful creator be if he was also ignorant of everything that was going on, right? Um, plenty of us actually think of God as being really powerful, but also distant, Right? Sometimes we can think of God as being, yeah, but he probably doesn't care about my situation. Um, but this psalm comes directly in the face of, of uh, our fears that maybe God knows but doesn't care. Um, he does care. He is present. Um, he's not asleep. Um, uh, a few years ago, I tried to hike a 14er, like a 14,000-foot mountain in Colorado with my buddy. I had done zero training for this, by the way. And I was only in Colorado like four days before this. And most of it was like going to breweries and just like hanging out. And I was just completely unprepared for what it was I was about to do. But did that stop me? No, it did not. So I started hiking up this mountain and around like 12,000 feet, 11,000 feet, somewhere in there, uh, my vision started to go black around the edges a little bit. And, um, honestly, I like started feeling really, really sick, just on the verge of just tossing my cookies. And, uh, I was hiking this 14er with my friend, Joel, who, uh, was in much better shape than I was. And he just kept like turning around and looking back, turning around, looking back. And, uh, at one point, Joel, uh, we were, we were doing these switchbacks and every time we would get to another switchback, maybe we'd walked 15, 20 feet. I would sit down on the rock and just stay there for like five minutes. And Joel would patiently wait until I would like, you know, could see kind of straight again. And the reality is that like, uh, what I was doing is pretty dangerous because at any point, like my foot could have slipped and I could have fallen. I mean, I was getting very dizzy. I couldn't really see the periphery of my vision. Uh, and I kept walking 
Um, but somewhere around 12,000 feet, uh, Joel actually said, hey, Nick, I think maybe it would help if, you know, I took your backpack. And so Joel took my, like, 25-pound backpack and put it on himself uh, in addition to his own backpack and carried it the rest of the way up the mountain. And somehow we made it, the full 14,000 feet. Um, That is what God is like. Uh, He doesn't expect us uh, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? He's He's not distant. He doesn't go like, well, I'll see you at the top, you know, like, oh man, that looks heavy, tough, you know. He takes our baggage, he takes our proverbial backpack, actually uh, our backpack of sin, and puts it on himself, right? In his death and resurrection, he takes our backpack of unrighteousness, what weighs us down and prevents us from a relationship with God. He takes it on himself and then did more than just ask us to hike up by ourselves. He puts us, like the only way this illustration could get any better is if Joel had picked me up and carried me the remaining 2,000 feet because that is what God does for us. Um, We have assurance that God is present most clearly, not not even just in his words in this psalm, but in his actions, chiefly in the one that Jesus came and took our backpack and us and carried us into the promised land that he has made a way for us to have a relationship with God when we had no shot at one. Um, As we stood dead and condemned before God, Jesus took the punishment for our sin on the cross, and he gave us his righteousness before God, not because of anything in us, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. uh, This is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. So uh, I'll continue to let you guys talk about how God's presence uh, helps us, uh, helps protect you in your own situations and your groups. Uh, but there's one more image to exam to examine where our help comes from. Uh, look with me at verses five through eight, and we're going to wrap up. Let me at verses five through eight. The psalmist calls the Lord his keeper. You'll notice that the word keeper has popped up all throughout the psalm, um, but here it becomes more most prominent. And based on the language that immediately surrounds this reference, it might be best to translate the word keeper as almost groundskeeper. Um, I don't know if you guys are groundskeeper, like a gardener of sorts, because God promises to offer shade, right? So that the sun cannot scorch or the moon's nightfall, possibly a reference to like frost or things that happen at night, um, that none of those things will, will God allow to destroy his tender plant, um, Isaiah actually uses the same word, this word keeper, in the same way when he envisions the restoration of God's people, right? After God's people had rebelled and he sends Babylon, God sends Babylon to pronounce judgment by destroying Jerusalem. Um, Isaiah looks in the future and he looks to a day when God is going to restore his people. And he says this about it. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment, keeper, there's the word. Every moment, I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. Um, The end vision of all things, right, according to Isaiah, is that God becomes our keeper, a gardener who tenderly takes care of his garden. God is depicted as a protective, maybe even vindictive gardener who will not allow harm to come to his plants. 
And if you know anything about gardens, you'll also know the flip side of this illustration, right? Uh, that they don't take care of themselves. And this means that the picture God wants you to see tonight about who you are in the midst of coronavirus is that you are a vulnerable, dependent plant requiring water from him, requiring nourishment from him, requiring protection from him. But here's the good news. Um, that this state, the state that we're in, right, that we're probably more aware of than we've ever been, uh, is echoed in the last verse as the metaphor is dropped. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You notice that the final two lines of this psalm are actually a common Hebrew poetic device. Uh, by contrasting our going out and our coming in, what the, what the Hebrew poet would be saying, what the psalmist is saying is that it's all the time, right? Um, from this time forth and forevermore. There is no time where you are not going out or coming in, right? It's just you are anywhere you are headed, God is uh, in control, uh, there is not a moment from all eternity, from this time to forever, that God has not been a tender caregiver to his fledgling garden. And even while the virus may seem to tell us the opposite, like we learned last week when we were in Psalm 23, uh, when we talked about the shepherd who would lead us, like what kind of shepherd would lead us through the valley of darkness, um, we're reminded here too that God's goodness as our gardener shines in the darkness of our distress. Let me say that again. God's goodness as our gardener shines in the darkness of our distress. Like that's that's where his goodness can shine most brilliantly for us. Um, and so uh, I think I would say to you, like uh, one application is don't let this opportunity to see God's goodness shine pass you by. Don't allow this opportunity for God to be your gardener and your everything pass you by. Um, he's no stranger to that himself. Uh, as Jesus demonstrated in his life, death, and resurrection, God is faithful. Uh, and um, he even protected us from his own rightful judgment in reconciling us uh, through Jesus' death on the cross. So we, get, we arrive at our third and final answer to the question, from where does our help come? Uh, the Lord who is a protector. So there are three answers. Our hope, our, our help comes from the Lord who is the powerful creator. Our help comes from the Lord who is present, powerful, present, and the Lord who is our protector. He's powerful, present, and protects. Uh, let's pray.